and welcome back to Filter Optional. I'm Chico West. And I'm Shannon West. And we are here today to celebrate our, I think, our 30th episode. Oh, really? I haven't counted. Yeah, I just happened to go last night and look on uh, iTunes and, you know, do... See how many. So you were up to episode 29. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Yes. Last week's episode was on Pride and that was episode 29. Nice. You know, and what's going on with you today? Well, I have a little bit of a cold, and it's so I'm a little nasally, so I'm sorry for the way I sound. Yeah, but, and it is. I mean, I've I've seen you at night uh, put hot compress on oh, your yeah. on your sinuses, underneath your eyes, on your head. Yes, you can probably see it in my face if you're watching. Um, it it's been lingering. It's kind of brutal. It is. I'm a little over it. Yeah. It's it, but at least today, this afternoon, you're going to go to the doctor and get it checked out. Uh, and so those are just, it's just one of those things. We'll and, see, yeah. And they, the, the bummer about you is you got to be really careful in taking antibiotics. I can't take antibiotics. I mean, yeah. I, it has to be like emergency. Yes. I mean, I. And it's just a bummer. Yeah. It's just how, you know, how your body is. Exactly. I'm not sure an antibiotic is what I need, though. We can do an entire podcast on the whole, like, gut biome and all that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> it, to do because I'm not sure. I mean, okay, to be totally unfiltered. Uh, for you, you know, yes, I like that. It is clear liquid that is coming out of my nose right now. Yes. So I don't think that signals an infection, which... You know, you don't need an antibiotic if you don't have an infection. Yeah, it's not yellowy or anything okay, like that. So, Doctor West, quit trying to prescribe an antibiotic for well, my you, you know situation. My, you know, my grandfather was a doctor, so that makes me a doctor. Yes. Well, no, your mom's a doctor. <laughs> yeah, my mom is a doctor. Not. Exactly. So that makes your mom's dad was a doctor, and that made her a doctor, and then therefore made you a doctor. Yes. I mean, it was like. Can prescribe ourselves. It's like, yeah, yes. get some antibiotics. That'll make you better. It's or like, get a get a shot of penicillin and a yeah. wait. What was the other shot she would always recommend? B twelve. B twelve. Yes. I mean, so she which was, there's some value to the B twelve situation, yes. but anyway, it's it's well. Last week I loved last week's episode on Pride. You know, I we were talking to our producer Kevin. He was surprised that we didn't have more uh, controversy about people saying. Well, I use the word proud and stuff like that. It seemed like there were more people who were in agreement with you guys. Well, I was expecting a little more controversy. Well, it's very funny because I listened to one of Kevin's other, the other, another podcast that he produces on my way home from Horseshoe Bay because I was in the car and I love to listen. I listened to a little remedy with Tova Cito and, and then I listened to some simple talk with Wayne McCullough. I like Wayne. He's um, a good dude. He is a good dude. And I listened to him and he was. He had an episode with his brother, and it was great. And um, I know both of them from high school, but um, I, he said he was talking about how proud he was of his brother and everything. And I was laughing because I was like, "Hmm, I went. I, I guess they recorded this before our, our episode." Because Kevin, <laughs> I would expect Kevin to jump in on that. I would have had to, yeah, yeah. absolutely, <laughs> and say. I, I might have Are to shoot. Are you sure you want to use that word, proud, you know, or whatever? Yeah. Anyway, it was and just I funny. Did, yeah, I might but have to. thank you for listening, though. We're all one big I happy know. podcast family here. Yeah. Yes, we are. Everybody knows each other, I swear, some way or another. They like, do. Other, it's, it's really it's, weird. It's very strange. The, the world is getting smaller as we speak. Yes, yes. Absolutely. Had I had more time in the car, I would have listened to Wanda and, you know, <laughs> everybody else. But um, You should yeah. listen to yourself, too, every once in a while. I, you know, I, just do, to... I do 
recap with myself too. But yes. yeah. But I, you know what? What I'm excited about today's episode. Yeah. You know, if if y'all have been watching us, you you saw we had a couple episodes about the Casa staff and stuff like that. Uh, well, one one is we we're bringing on a staff member today uh, that wasn't with us. You know, those that day we did uh, the two part episode on Casa staff. But I'm really excited because you know. Uh, I, I'm gonna really turn it over. You want to say anything before we turn it over to our to our guest today? Well, yeah. I mean, you're gonna lead him, correct? But I am yeah. gonna lead him. <laughs> Poor guy. But um, uh, but today, yes. I would like uh, you know for our staff member to introduce himself in a language that he grew up with. You know, so today, who are you? Hello, <laughs> Ah, is that Chinese? That's Chinese. Yeah. Yes. So what is, what, is, what is your name? My name is Caleb Perrette. Uh Caleb, we are excited to have you on today. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Yes. And so the, the thing is, you're, you know, you were speaking Chinese. Uh, how come? Tell us a little bit about you and, you know, what, what brought us together and stuff like that. Okay. Yeah. Um, so a little bit atypical my story i was born in in hong kong and uh i grew up in china and i actually was there until i was 17 years old and um kind of through throughout that whole process you don't look chinese i get that a lot you know <laughs> yeah you know? I, I mean i i just i don't see it yeah, yeah. <laughs> well you, you just got to get to know me a little bit it, it comes out the more you know me okay yeah yeah um but yeah so through the course of of growing up there, I uh, I got introduced to alcohol at a pretty young age, and then. Uh, but how 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 were you living there? What was? Are your parents Chinese? No, no, no. Uh, so, my parents actually are missionaries in China, and so they uh, do a lot of work with like uh, orphanages, doing like rehabilitation and adoption for handicapped orphans, and so like that's kind of their main thing they do over there. And preemie babies, they do a lot of work. And um, so, are you the oldest? I'm the oldest, and I have I have, I have five siblings. Oh, so there's wow. six so of us total. Six of y'all, and so your your parents were these missionaries that had their first child, you, mm -hmm. over over in China. Yes, and so just kind of to to give a little background on that, China's very uh, it's a very male dominant culture, and there's a lot of value placed on the firstborn male son because it, in in essence, it is a insurance policy for families because traditionally in a, a agrarian society, your your son would be the one that would then take on the farm and provide for you in your old age. And so, traditionally speaking, the the oldest son is held in high high esteem, high regard, and basically is very entitled and spoiled. If I'm being quite honest. Yeah. Um, okay. So you you grew up in that that culture till you were 17 mm -hmm. but you grew up as a missionary kid that's kind of like a preacher's kid isn't it yeah well it's a little worse <laughs> it, oh, how so well i mean you know preachers you know with they they're they're here in in country so they're already pretty you know their kids are pretty crazy but missionary kids their their families found it necessary to move to a whole different country to do the preaching so you know i would say that there's a whole nother echelon of craziness Oh, uh -huh. so <laughs> yeah, it, it kind of sets you up. So you were you're getting ready to go into your story a little bit. So yeah. how did how did we meet? What was you know? So I started drinking when I was twelve, and from that moment on, <laughs> I was a I would I would say an abnormal drinker. You know, as, as we refer to in 
in, in uh, the, the recovery industry is that when I started, I could not stop. And that was from the first time I started drinking. And now, were you drinking with other um, uh, 12 year olds, like other missionary kids or other like what was some? Your... I was more the bad influence your... for those people. But yeah. the thing is, is because of that kind of cultural stance on the, the firstborn in, in China that I made friends with people and I was treated as an adult. At, at a at a young age, right. and so my friends were people that owned businesses, stuff. I mean, they were full grown adults, but yeah. I was viewed as one of the the clan. And so in that, did you have facial hair like you do now? No, no, I have a great picture actually. Uh, my my friends give me a lot of crap about it. They're like, "Who's this off of Dawson's Creek?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Um, but you know, the big thing is, is I felt like. When I was there with those guys, I had a sense of togetherness and belonging that right. that for me, it 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 really kind of filled a, a hole in my heart in a lot of ways in, in that I felt connected and I felt like I belonged. when you were drinking, when I was drinking, when I was accepted by those guys those, for who yeah, I was, right. because did you feel I mean, I. I mean, I did some missionary work after I got sober overseas, but I was on a military base in Germany working with uh, Americans. Americans. Right, right. You know, I wasn't working with foreigners. I was living around foreigners, Germans and stuff. Mm -hmm. But did, did you feel this sense of, you, you talked about you had that acceptance and stuff like that. Did you feel a little different? I knew I was a di different. I didn't, I wasn't part of the military. You know, I didn't, I didn't, you know, I, ha I lived with families. You know, I didn't have any military status or stuff mm -hmm. like that. Right. I had some, I had some benefits of working on the military, but everybody I interacted with were was part of the military or or was part of the Department of Defense. Mm -hmm. You know, so I felt a little, you know, awkward, lonely, and stuff like that. Like you Did, kind of fit, but not totally. Yes. Yeah. Did you have that growing up? I, absolutely. And there's a term that is used now in psychology. It's called a third culture kid. It's when someone is transplanted from their original culture into another one, and you are neither part of culture A or culture B because you have parts of both. And so you're in this in-between culture, if you will, called the third culture. And okay, so, those military kids were a lot that way because mm -hmm. they would they would be stationed, their parents would be stationed in Germany for two, maybe sometimes one year, but two years to three years. And then they'd leave and go back to the States or a different or a different country, you know, so they, I call them the military kids because they were great at acclimating right away. Absolutely. But they didn't go into, I mean, to get a deep conversation, it was hard. They were very guarded, mm -hmm. you know. Oh, that, no. yeah, do you that, identify with that? Well, that's my vibe completely. Uh, and I think for me, it was, uh, I learned at a very young age how to be a chameleon, you know, yeah. um, how to be the missionary kid when I came back to the U.S. Um, you know, you know, we'd be paraded around these churches and stuff like mm. that and, and all that. And so I had to, to play the part, if you will. And uh, and then coming back to, to China, I was always the, the, the white kid. So I had to figure out a way to, to fit in there as well. You know, so there was always, I mean... I can acclimate to any situation. I learned that at a very young age. Yes. You know, it's just it's just part of part of my DNA now from yeah. growing up over there. Well, definitely. And so, you know, fast forward. So you you're you're an an alcoholic drug addict. You know, what what brought you to how you know, I know our story, but why don't you tell our story from your perspective? Okay. You know. And uh, so what what happened? What transpired? Okay, so the, the lead up of my alcoholism was that, so a couple of things are important to note in this, that towards the end, my, my parents never tried to come grab me, 
and and talk me into treatment or anything like that so the kind of the culmination of that led me to down this path where i was allowed to run out my alcoholism to um you know a very kind of far degree if you will like i was able to run it all the way out and so basically by the time i was about to give up on life itself um it had gotten very dark and I had been, you know, I'd gone dark on my family. They hadn't known where I was for over a year. Um, I'd been busted three times in a row with some big drug busts. And it you did, were in China and your parents didn't know where you well, were? Well, this was back in the in oh. the U.S. Oh, okay, okay. So my mom actually told me she was looking through online obits and, uh, you know, looking at hospitals oh and jails gosh. trying to see if I was still alive or dead. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Um, and so... You know, I was doing a lot of drugs. How long ago was this? This was seven years ago. Um, in April is when things started to shake up. So 2000, April 2012 is when things started to shift. And so you've been sober since when? June 3rd. June 3rd of 2012. So seven years. That is correct. Okay, so we're, we're talking about seven years ago. You know, it. you were in the crapper. Oh, yeah. It was not good. Yeah. So it, you know, it, it's crazy how uh, and your parents didn't know where you were. But were you married at the time? So married, but separated. So did she know where you were? No, nobody knew where I was. I just disappeared. I, I, yeah, I, I was gone. And so my poor wife met me during the one month of my entire life where I was completely sober. <laughs> oh my and she really liked that person. And so, you know, um, Five years later, after much, uh, you know, tumult, we split ways. I, because I would disappear for two to three weeks at a time. She got, she finally got to the breaking point. I'm done. So she moved out to California. We actually signed the divorce papers. Um, but I thought about it. I was like, well, I'm literally drunk from sunup to sundown. I can't go show up in a judge's chamber with these divorce papers because I'll probably get in trouble. Well, and so I had a plan. Uh, in june of the following year that i was going to kill myself because i there's essentially nothing that i had found that made me okay i yeah. i was constantly tuned about five degrees off like it, you know radio knob when when you're just a, the old school ones you yeah. know oh, yeah. when you're just a little bit off of, of tuned in you know that <laughs> the, the, the white noise and so the white noise was always turned up in my life and i could not find a way to turn it down to be okay yeah and so um, I kind of accepted the fact that I was going to die drinking and that I was going to take my life into my own hands. Um, yeah. And so we split and I made a commitment to myself that I was going to go down the darkest path possible. I was going to basically party and run and gun and do all the things that I'd already been doing, but to an even more kind of morbid, terrible degree. And then uh, I was going to take my life in, in June of the next year. And actually, the reason I chose June is because as selfless as I am, I didn't want to interrupt my, my sister who's getting married, her wedding or her honeymoon. So, oh my you gosh. know, yeah. I sacrificially waited yeah. until I was going to wait until June <laughs> to kill myself. So I didn't disrupt the honeymoon. Oh God. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I like, I like how you say that sacrificially. So what, so, so that was, that was June of May, April, May, June of 2012, mm -hmm. seven years ago. And so, you know, I love our relationship. So, so talk about what what happened. You you had tried getting sober before. 
you had failed mm -hmm. at it miserably. So I tried so many times to quit drinking on my own. You know, my wife would actually come in and force feed me beers because I was I was getting to kind of end stage alcoholism with with regards to how my body was responding to it. And so just completely hopeless. And it was about a week before I was going to take my own life that uh, I had, you know, I had a moment of utter realization after after talking with my dad about what it meant to truly relinquish control of my life. And he wasn't trying to preach at me this time. He just kind of spat the truth and then walked off the porch. Yeah. And it kind of blew my mind. And I, I broke in a way that uh, was life changing. I looked up at the night sky and I realized then that I wasn't the sum total of my mistakes. I wasn't the sum total of who I was going to be, that I was irrevocably loved there in that moment. And that all I had to do was relinquish my hold on trying to make things the way that I wanted them to. And that I could actually commit my life to something far bigger and greater than me. And I could trust in that. And in that moment, something happened. I hadn't slept for, for weeks with night terrors. I, I burst into tears. It was, it was transformational. And I went to sleep like a baby that night. The issue is, is I was still addicted to alcohol on a physical level. Yeah. So during my sister's wedding, there was a guy that said, hey, if you ever need anything, just show up uh, in Dallas. And so I took him at his word. I was halfway to Dallas. I called him. I said, hey, I got a couple of Xanax. That, that was Chris, correct? Yeah, Chris Peterson. Shout yes. out to, that's a good man, yeah. good man. Uh, and he's actually part of the story uh, of, of later on of us meeting. But uh, I was headed to his house. I said, hey, I'm coming to your house. I'm going to try to detox myself. I have some Xanax. I'm going to try to slowly wean myself off. I've done this before. It's terrible. You're just going to have to leave me in your back house for like 96 hours. And so during the course of that, of getting there, what I didn't know is that my, my family's family friends had their two of their sons had gone through uh, your your sober living Gaston house back in the day. And they had already kind of networked on the back end like, hey, this is a possibility if Caleb's ever truly ready. But my parents never offered it. That's the big thing is they never tried to coerce me into it. It was when I was utterly ready, they said, hey, here's an option for you. Yeah. And so you were in talks with them on the back end. I didn't know about this. So I was planning on, I'd, I'd gone to Applebee's and I, I, I had this beer and I drank it. And in my mind, I was like, all right, that's my last beer. We're about to go do this thing. We're gonna detox. And there was a phone call from you to Chris Peterson, I believe. And you explained to him that, uh, that I needed to keep drinking. And I still get teared up talking about this because it was the first time that, um, it's like a connection was made with me in a real way where someone spoke the language of alcoholism. Someone said, no, keep drinking. You got to medically detox. And for me, that was so mind blowing because my entire life, the only thing that I'd ever heard was you need to stop drinking. You need to moderate your drinking. You got to figure out your drinking. Right. No one had ever told me to continue to drink. And so what happened then was for me, it was 1000% buy-in in that moment. I said, I don't know who that person is. With that gruffy voice. Yeah, I don't know who that is, but I will, I will, I will trust that person. And it was 100% buy-in. You know, I was, I was in. And so Chris dropped me off at, at Gaston House uh, the next day, and he had been faithfully feeding me tequila shots. Um, bless him. <laughs> yeah. And he and Chris didn't know me. I talked to him on the phone, and he just trusted. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then, then we get you into, you know, you spend the night. We get you into 
um, you know, medically detoxed facility. You know, it worked out. Uh, and the deal was, man, you were you were ready. Not everybody's ready, okay, when no. they go to treatment. No. But but the deal is, you were ready. But then you followed the plan. Yes. You know, you stayed. You went through detox. You came through my sober living. You stayed. Uh, I think seven months. Is that correct? Six months on the day. Six months on the day, and then you transitioned out. Mm -hmm. You know, you got a job. You did everything we asked, and you were. I mean, you you. You poured yourself into getting a sponsor, working the steps, you know, trusting, you know, trusting the direction we are giving you. Correct. Well, absolutely. And the thing is, to highlight that is, I had a two to life suspended sentence. Yes. So I wasn't going through this to uh, try to get out of jail. I was going through this so I could live, and then maybe I'd be alive for jail. Like it wasn't like, right. hey, if I just do this, then I'm gonna. The the writing was on the wall. Like I was going. To, to big boy jail for a while. Yeah, and so I'm I'm glad you're sharing this story. And Shannon was asking, okay, hey, what are we gonna talk about? And we we spent the last 20 minutes kind of talking about your story. But what I really want to talk about is, okay, you stayed at Gaston House. You ended up working for me. You know, I sold it. You know, you stayed there. You know, now Gaston House. You know, in and around and and you came back. But really, what I want to talk about is community. Mm -hmm. You know, what was it that you got attracted to when it came to community you know had you know you talked about you know growing up in china and and you felt that connection but what about this this community that has helped you maintain seven years of sobriety okay yeah i connected and said hey keep drinking and i i know that stuff but really what i want to talk about is just this sense of community that you had and that you, you and other guys that went through the gaston house you know model mm -hmm. You know, started doing community after you graduated the Gaston House. Yeah. You know, and you're still in community with those guys. So what is it about community? What did you find? So if you remember me talking about the third culture kid experience, yeah. I think for me, I was finally in a place where people were speaking my language. It's almost like I was in a room with other third culture kids who accepted me for who I was who realized that I wasn't also the, the sum total of my mistakes. And it kind of is a third culture addiction, you know, addiction <laughs> recovery. Yes, I mean, it right? is. Am yeah, I right? In a lot I mean, of ways. Because it is a culture on your, and it's not the one you grew up in. And mm -hmm. it's, you know, not the one that the rest of you, a lot of people around you are living in. And it's this kind of third culture of recovery. Right? Yeah. And, I the, mean, and, and I think in a way it's even third culture, even more so is because, you, you get these guys like Caleb and a lot of his buddies that he's still friends with. You and I know most of them and we're still yeah. good, you know, friends and gone to those weddings and, and stuff like that is. But this this culture of this 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 rigorous transparency, mm. this right. this this uh, un, almost unbridled uh, exposure of self. Right. Does that. So there's that third culture. Right. It's it. You know, you you understand it because you've been with me and living with me. We're getting ready to celebrate 24 years of marriage. And today's Caleb's 32nd birthday. Did you uh, know that? Happy birthday. Yeah. I didn't know yes. it was your birthday. Mm -hmm. Well, I yeah. hope you got some cupcakes or something. Well, maybe we might do that. <laughs> you don't, he doesn't do birthdays well. He's yeah. <laughs> but but the deal is there, it is that, oh. it is that third so culture. So it's July. 30th. 30th. Yeah. July and so 30th. there there's that Happy uh Happy that birthday. sense of community that 
and it's that culture it has that been kind of a driving force in your recovery absolutely and 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 let me give you let me give you an example of how how the lights came on on that there we did this group at gaston house one time it was a knees to knees and essentially when what you were a resident when i was a resident and essentially it is you know you pair off with guys and then you you go through a list of tough questions that normally guys like me i'm going to hold these secrets i'm not going to talk about this stuff and the delightful thing was is um <laughs> i was paired up with pretty much the, the the polar opposite of me my my dear friend who actually just wished me a happy birthday pat thornhill shout out to him and he pat and i are very different human you are beings. <laughs> very different i i will agree with you i concur but you know I'd always felt different as a missionary kid, and here I am sitting across, and Pat also was the only guy that, that had an issue with me showing up at Gaston in the first place. I already kind of had a resentment at this guy, so here I am sitting across from this guy, um, you know, completely different, but we're asked to, to be honest, and we're asked to, to answer these questions, and what happened in that moment was, was two guys became willing to go, you know what, F it, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm, I'm going to actually expose these parts of myself that I've kept secret for so long, the, the things I don't want to talk about, the shame that I experienced, the fear that I live under hiding these things. And we did so. And what happened then was there was a such a sense of connection that like he's one he's one of my best friends been to, you know, I was in his wedding. You know, we still give each other crap about. You know our you know our football teams um <laughs> yeah but but that it was that it was that bridge right there and what happened in that connection is they're well, starting well pause for a second i i love it you're still guys you still you know you're an avid cowboys fan he's an avid redskins fan y'all still have that camaraderie and giving each other shit and stuff like that but man you you broke down those walls and you became vulnerable with each other yes which is which kind of goes counter-cultural to well, it creates a safe space, and we don't when we're in addiction, and you know you're out amongst people that it's they aren't safe for you. You know, certain community is not safe. Yeah, well, and that's I love that you said that because I'm I got this now in quote, you know, and right here he goes probably no word better summarize the suffering of our time than the word of homeless. It reveals one of our deepest and most painful conditions: the condition of not having a sense of belonging, of not having a place where we can feel safe, cared for, protected, and loved. Right. You know, and so there's that that place of, you know, because we see a lot of times with addiction that guys feeling that sense of homeless. Mm -hmm. You know, even though they're, they might be in the midst and if they're addicted to, you know, stimulants, they're in the party thing, but you see the opiate crisis and they're just, you know, shooting up by themselves or with just, but they still don't, feel connected mm -hmm. you know you were around a lot of people in your addiction but you still didn't feel connected mm -hmm. is that fair to say absolutely you know <laughs> and so so get so getting to that place of of community uh you know and and the deal is what what was it you know with you you're now our business development guy at casa Kalina. you know i love that because it's just it's not i what i like is i like to uh you know, get creative. People give me a hard time. I'm coming up with a different word. Think outside the box. Always use. Uh, but I'm I'm getting creative because you're not. You don't have a real history of business development. But I want you to connect with people because you know what it means 
to connect. So what brought you to Casa? Uh, to what what was it that you see at Casa Kalina? And it's not Chico, but it's Casa Kalina. What is it? So, you know, the cool thing is that well, first of all, your staff there, like one of my good friends, uh, runs operations. Sean. You know, Sean, yeah. and he. Uh, I was actually back when I worked at Gaston, I was his house manager. Yeah. And so, you know, the cool thing was is we already had a history of holding each other accountable, um, and and speaking truth to each other. You know, and so just knowing that my my experience at Gaston House is you, you talk about home, like it was Gaston home. You know. Yeah. And so I knew that a guy like Sean, who had also gone through there working for you, I knew that that culture was there. I, uh, you know, I just right. knew that that culture existed there. And for me, when we talked about me coming on board, there was such a, a, a longing to get back to kind of this sense of, of, of home, if you will. You know, and I love our tagline, uh, you know, welcome home, because truly that's how i felt when i first got sober you know and 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 now being able to work with a team where like that's our mission is is for guys to feel that safety so that they can get to the point of vulnerability for me is so attractive and that is what i want to be part of because it, it changed my life yes and and so here here's the deal caleb is i i love that and i think it's it's hard to explain and i'm glad shannon's here is you know, it's it's hard to explain that at homeness. We we want guys to have at homeness, but that doesn't mean we're going to compromise from being truthful. Is that is that fair to say? Absolutely. You know, and so it's like, okay, hey, there's that homeness, but there is that vulnerability. You that picture you painted with you and Patrick in the knees to knees. Mm -hmm. Y'all had your struggles, you know, your resentments, but you kind of pulled down those walls and exposed to each other, you know, your crap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, and that—that's what I get excited about with guys at, at, that I see at Casa going through some of the intensive stuff is because I can see the moment when the guard comes all the way down, you know, and and watching guys have enough of a sense of safety to be able to do that uh, with a room full of other guys. For me, it—it's—it's uh, it's nostalgic, but it's—it's it's also exciting. Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> I can see that. Yeah, and so it, it, it comes to that place where all of a sudden men with addictions that have done you were facing, you know, a lot of a lot of prison time <laughs> for distribution and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And you you're going, Okay, I felt this at homeness. At first you wanted to be sober, but then it was like something else changed. It's like, man, I can have true community. Mm -hmm. I can get in and really, you know, begin to expose the stuff in my life that has been blocking me because I, I think you believe that just as I is liquor drugs was but a symptom of my problem. Absolutely. And so Absolutely. you had to get down to those causes and conditions. Well, and there's just something so freeing with finally being at a place to be able to go, you know, the, wow, this insecurity has, has run rampant in my life. I've never really thought about it. I've avoided it, but now I get to, I just get to bring it to light. Yeah. Like that is such a freeing thing to be able to do and to connect with someone over it because nine times out of 10, you do something like that and guys are going, well, man, hey, me too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, and you know what I love is I love that you and Shannon are working really close together. You know, that she brings that, that female perspective 
Uh, how, how's that been? It, it's been awesome because, you know, uh, she, there's been a gentling of you, if I'm being <laughs> honest, and she kind of is a great foil for that. Oh, man. You know? I appreciate that because I can be just kind of headstrong bull in a china shop. Yeah, you absolutely. Know, sometimes that tornado. Yes, yes. yes. Uh, and, and she is. She, she is that, 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 maybe that Chico whisperer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you like that? Yes, yes. Yeah, and so I, I value that, and so I just know where I just know where you're gonna go with your what whatever it is, whether it's just your train of thought, your ADD, your like business wise. Like I know the next thing you're, gonna, and so I can I can kind of get in front of it, like. Yeah. Hey, hey Caleb, this is coming next. Yeah, you did that you know. this week, and it was it was dead on. I was like, sweet. Yeah. So you know, I just yes, I'm kind of the Shannon's the glue. I come before yes. I come before you, and I I'm like the snowplow. Yes, and 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 you do a great job, and that that's the cool thing about our you know about our team and what's happening at Casa, and I I love I love having having you part of that. I love that that you are committed to community and you bring not just your business development and you're willing to learn, but you're bringing that sense of community too with your relationship with, uh, uh, with Sean. I love how you're getting that relationship with John and, and stuff like that yeah. and Kay and you know, mm -hmm. all the other staff is, is there's that you're modeling that for the other men that are actually residents at Casa Kalina. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like, uh, I just, I get a lot of joy going there and, and, and the guys that maybe haven't seen me in a week or so or something or get excited because it's like, you know, there, there is a sense of like, hey, you know, a family member's back, you know, yeah, like, totally. let's, let's welcome them in, yeah. you know. Exactly. Mm -hmm. You know, and so that, that, you know, today is, you know, we, we've been talking to you, Caleb, just a little bit about your story, but that, that sense, we got to get you back on to really dig deeper into this sense of community that I'm not sure a lot of people really understand community, uh, and really it's in, and you grew up in that Christian missionary culture. You know, we use the word community a lot and in, mm -hmm. in especially these Bible churches. And, you know, we use the word community and in, in the recovery circles, but I'm not sure how you frame it up. What true community is. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. I think, I think, how I experience that and, and, and what we see like with my friends and, and how do I say this? I think the willingness to be honest to the degree that I put myself at a disadvantage while at the same time experiencing grace for my vulnerability and practicing that over and over and a commitment to that over and over and over. It's not a one-time deal. It is a, you continue to expose uh, and, and, even when it's not something I want to do, even if it's ugly, even if it's, even if it's like some terrible thought I had that I don't want to be part of my life. Hey, put it out there, you know? Um, and, and it's reciprocal because when I do that, it opens it up for other people to do the same. But the, the thing is, is, is truth without grace is just legalism. And, and there has to be that side of love that comes with it. Yeah. And so it's this balance of, of truth and love that happens in community that I think makes it all work. And, and for me, um, you know, what, 
what changed my life was my relationship with Jesus and and experiencing that on a personal level in my in my heart of when I talked about being on the back porch and that I wasn't the sum total of my mistakes or what I was going to do. That's what it's like to be in community and to be fully known yet accepted at the same time. And it's something that is not comfortable. It's not fun. It gets messy. You know, we've had, <laughs> yeah, we've had community roundtable discussions around stuff. I mean, it's not like, oh, you know, here's the simple ABC solution to this, put to the, put this together. 375 for 40 minutes and you get community it takes work and it and, right. and a lot of times it's uncomfortable work but at the end of the day it provides a connection that is far deeper than anything else i've experienced exactly you know and so i i'm i'm excited about you know you you being part of the team i'm excited about you going out there and 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 really uh giving people a glimpse a taste of what recovery can be about a taste of what Hey, let's dig deeper mm -hmm. uh, at Casa Kalina. But I just, I love, I love your love for for your friends, for your wife, for your daughter. You know, those kind of things really uh, give us that sense of hope that you too can recover. Mm -hmm. You know. So, uh, anything else you want to add, Shannon? No, I just want to add that I'm hoping the next time we film, I'm not so sick. <laughs> I know. You can hear it in your voice. Oh, no. Thank you, I'm Kevin, for another great episode. Yeah. Appreciate you, it. Y'all take care. Yes, thank you.